we need to figure it. We need to do an outline for an, if, if you are making an episode of real life alphabetically, you need to make sure not an outline, a checklist. Oh. You need to make sure to do the following things. You such should as, this. <laughs> say the name of the fucking podcast. <laughs> say your own names. Maybe put something in there about, you know, the, the, music that you're using even though it is royalty free thank you uh, jesse spillane or whatever the fuck yeah jesse spillane with sinking feeling um and have a fucking ending do you know how hard it was to end episode i think it was d because we just were like okay bye But yes, I am ready to, I have your email up and I'm ready to listen or listen. I'm ready to listen to this email that I got. (laughs) Good, good. Use all your senses. (laughs) I'm going to really feel this email. All right. Whoa. We've got some crossover. We want to go one and a half, two. We've got about two. Yeah. So... Before we start, and and I think we should make it, because we didn't do this in D, we should make it a recurring idea that we start with crossover topics, that we take the ones from both our lists and we start with those, you know. I think that's reasonable. Except for when there is something that needs to be discussed that was brought up in a previous episode, such as... Malavika, when we recorded episode D, you had only seen the first four episodes of The Mandalorian. You've now seen the whole eight-episode season. So please, give us an update on your thoughts and feelings about The Mandalorian. Oh, man. It was good. I really enjoyed the... I do think it, like, dragged a little bit for three or four episodes in the middle. But I think the ending of the season was strong, strong enough that I I do want to see the second season. I liked the characters. I like they're trying to develop them. I just think like all of Disney movies and especially Star Wars, the kind of moral (sighs) subplots are all very black and white, which for some reason drives me insane. It doesn't make any sense why only specifically to start. I think that's why I didn't get you into Star Wars fan fiction. It's like, I just like couldn't stand that. Like everything seemed black and white in the movies. Mm -hmm. And yeah. You live um, your life in between in the grave. I I don't think I do, but like maybe that's something I very much enjoy. Um, But yeah, I thought the, there is like a, Oh, I don't want to like give too much away, but you know, there was a lot of really good dialogue. I think between the characters that was kind of like, um, just like things you would expect to hear between two soldiers. And, you know, I enjoy that aspect of it. Baby Yoda literally broke my mind several times and I hated it. I hate baby Yoda, but it's so fucking cute. How did you feel when, uh, I think it was in the last episode in the very beginning when, yeah. when they're beating the hell out of him <laughs> and the stormtroopers are punching him. Yeah. I was a little sad about that. That made me bad, but like baby Yoda is like a strong creature, you know? Yeah. I think oh, like, he's well, fine. I, I mean, is it too much to say, like, there was a episode where you get to see the face of the Mandalorian, and I thought that was a very interesting, like, decision, mm-hmm. um, how he appeared, and, like, the situation surrounding it. 
And, and so I think it's like a good show. It has some value. I like the, there's a couple of cool episodes with like good subplots of like heist episode, like, you know, things mm. like that. And I overall was good. My boyfriend definitely liked it more than I did. He pushed <laughs> me. I was like, one episode is enough. He's like, we need to finish this now. I was like, okay, fine. <laughs> when it grabs you, it really grabs you. Yeah. Uh, I didn't feel that, but mm. I did enjoy it. Also, um, this was all a test a test that you failed. Good. We still have not said the name of this podcast or our own names or any of the things that I just talked about. You asked me a question. I know I did because I was testing you if you would say, wait, first we should say who we are and what this is. So Malavika, you have failed this city. Not again. Hey, everyone. Hey, guys. (laughs) thanks for coming back or if this is your first time listening thanks for listening for the first time um this is real life alphabetically uh i I almost called it a comedy podcast but uh i guess that's more for you to decide as the listener than than for me that'd be a little bit bold on my account i am nick um if you want to know more about me too bad and i'm here with my lovely co-host malavika malavika how are you I'm good. Sorry, I muted because I was typing something, and then... This is the most professional podcasting environment I've ever worked in. I I have to say, of all my co-hosts, you're probably the best one. That's good, that's good. I'm I'm glad you feel that way, because I'm the only podcast you do. That's true. Um, My only... I I used to send someone audio recordings... um, of stories or things to talk about, you know, there was a time difference. So it was, yeah. Um, so I called that my, my podcast that I did cause I would be, you know, but uh, yeah, it was kind of a strange person recording their own thought, kind of like audio journaling. Now that I think about it for someone else to listen mm-hmm. to. I find, I feel like I would like audio journaling if I could stand myself, <laughs> mm. <laughs> you know what I, yeah. Um, no, I think like audio journaling is great. And I think it can be very, like, I think it would mean a lot to me if someone sent me personalized messages. But on the other hand, I also enjoy the kind of live action I have with people I call. <laughs> yeah. And you and I have talked about this. It's the, the reason I don't like audio books. Well, there's two. Yeah. One, I love the feel of a book. It's why I also don't like e-readers. Uh-huh. It's just Funny. something that is Instant in my soul. Instant gratification, it's a- though. It's so I, convenient. I, 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 I get my gratification over. I'm a patient man. I can. I can wait. <laughs> the other part of it, though, is the reason I don't like audiobooks specifically is when I listen to something. If and not counting music, music is its own thing in this category. But I don't like to hear lectures. I don't like to hear somebody just talking over and over. I like more conversational audio. I like to feel like I'm in the room. I like to feel like I'm overhearing the conversation or even a part of the conversation, which is why I'm drawn to podcasts like interview podcasts or even podcasts of, you know, people that brothers, you know, bim bam, something like that of just getting together and, and talking about random shit. I, I think I like both because I think like in different moods, I want different things, but also, um, I think what's hard about podcasts is I have to really one something I struggle with is like production value. So there are a few <laughs> podcasts I do, including enjoy. on this podcast. As, yeah, as we're working on out. it. We're working on it. We're getting better. We are. You know. we, are we are leaps and bounds beyond where we were. Uh, sorry about episode B, by the way. 
C is better, we promise. Uh, sound quality wise, but I think like some of this production quality can bother me. Um, I also enjoy the conversational aspects of podcasting, and I think I do listen to quite a few that are like that. But the thing is, you can burn out on it very quickly uh, because it's like a I don't know um, a archetype. there's a structure to it that can become very formulaic over time, depending on what type of podcast you're listening to. Yes. Um, formula can definitely kind of rub against, cause some friction against you when you hear it over and over and over and over. Yeah. And I don't think that's everyone. And I think like, if you enjoy the people, you're going to enjoy the podcast. Um, I did listen to 125 episodes of wonderful basically in a row. So so maybe not true for me, but (laughs) I, but like audiobooks is the same thing. Like the the downside of audiobooks is that you need more focus than you need it in a podcast. Very true. And I do think that is a downside because sometimes you're just like walking around doing your life and like you'll talk to someone, you'll say something, and then if you lose your spot in the podcast, I feel like by and large it's not a big deal. You'll pick it up. Yes. But if you lose your spot in an audiobook, it's a huge pain in the ass because you got to go back and you're like, fuck, what's happening? Like, why is this person saying this? So what happened in this like two seconds? I wasn't paying attention. Yeah, that's that's very true. And, and honestly, that's very true for, for me personally, because I usually am listening to a, a podcast while doing something else, yeah. while doing the dishes, while doing laundry, while mm-hmm. playing a game, you know, Animal Crossing, whatever. So and I have found that there are some podcasts like um, listening to Conan's. I can listen to Conan's doing anything. It's just mm-hmm. people shooting the shit, making yeah. fun of each other, telling stories, whatever. Love it. Love um, it. The Adventure Zone, which is still you know conversational in that they're playing a game together, but there's also this very narrative element to it, especially where where the DM is explaining what's going on and you know giving you the basically what would be a chapter's worth of an audiobook. And I do find I have to just kind of sit the fuck down and pay attention, or else I'm going to miss something that's you know wait what what is that where what cave is this what you know yeah. that I have no idea what the fuck they're talking about. Yeah. But that being said, I think there's a place in your life for both of them, and you should try audiobooks. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm not going to say that I haven't tried them. I have, there have been certain books that I have listened to audiobook. Um, I listened to some of the, the um, Game of Thrones books, audiobooks, mm. Roy DeTrees. Oh, interesting, yeah. Um, way back in the day. Um, I did listen to Hitchhiker's Guide audiobook, which I'll probably talk about Hitchhiker's Guide when we get to letter H because I'm on this reel. Uh, apparently each week I bring a sci-fi book and, and this <laughs> Yeah, you do. Different. But, and I, I didn't even realize that that was going to be the case. We just, I guess they got front-loaded. But um, I listened to Hitchhiker's Guide and, and that was a good one. I did have to focus on it, but that one is so wacky that I almost felt like, I don't know, Maybe maybe you're right. Maybe I haven't given the right audiobooks a shot to let it become a more permanent medium for me. Well, I also should say that I'm not like a huge audiobook person. I use audiobooks, but I definitely go through phases where it's like reading is much more consistent for me. Right now, I've been on a big embroidery kick. And embroidery is just, it's like you need to focus a little bit on what you're doing, but a lot of it doesn't require kind of like the same brain space as an audiobook would take up. So I listen to audiobooks while I embroider. So like listening to an audiobook while you play video games or while you do work is probably a lot harder than what I'm using audiobooks for because right now my time is very open. I don't know, for Animal Crossing, there might be some some ability there because it's kind of... A lot of it is just kind of mindlessly doing repetitive actions, chores, you know, beautifying your island, catching bugs, catching fish, 
Um, I know I've made the game sound. That, that's the problem with Animal Crossing is there is no way to describe it in a way that shows you how like recharging of your soul and of your energy it is. It, it, it's just maybe it's because it's outside on an island and like you can change things and make things better. And right now we're all cooped up inside and can't really do much anything. Um, but it's a very escapist game. Ooh. And like, if if you had a giant spider in your house, that would be a pretty fucking big problem. You would not be happy to have that giant spider in your house. Whereas, if you find a giant spider on your island, you catch it and you sell it for money. So, <laughs> or you donate it to the museum, and they're like, and the the owl that runs it, whose name is Blathers, which is the best name for the best character, he's like, I fucking hate bugs, but we don't have this one yet, so we'll put it in the museum. <laughs> Okay. That was kind of uh, tangent as a topic. Okay. Um, so our crossover topic includes eggs. Yep. So tell me what you mean by eggs, what your thoughts on it are. No, no, no. I, I think as with most things, you should probably go first on this one. <laughs> please, please. Um, I love eggs. I eat them. And honestly, this is very stupid. But what I want to talk about is a book written by a blog that I really enjoy. Some There's these two bloggers. They write this <laughs> food blog called Spoon Fork Bacon. And it's a good blog. They do, you know, they're one of the first people to do kind of the GIF animation of like food blogging. And they have a really great layout. Um, and I think they both have a background kind of in like creative design. And it shows in their website. And I don't understand why they're not more like popular or lauded. I don't know. It doesn't matter. But they wrote a book called Splendid Eggs, and I was really excited about it because their blog, their recipes are really good. They have a good, like I said, aesthetic. They have good recipes. It's clear they test them because that's the problem with food blogs. If you've ever cooked from a food blog, is it, it's not actually like well-tested by and large. Mm-hmm. Um, some people, it's kind of like vitamins. Vitamins <laughs> can be good for you. Everyone agrees that, you know, a little bit of extra zinc and a little bit of extra vitamin D is not going to hurt you. But, like, the FDA doesn't regulate it. So you might be eating, like, cat's piss for all you know, right? Right. And, and kind of the same with food blogs is, like, I think good food bloggers tend to test their recipes in different capacities or admit they're evolving. And I think, like, the problem is most food bloggers don't do that <laughs> uh, because they don't have the capabilities because they're not, like, real professionals, right? They're just home, you know, people in their home kitchen doing their own shit. You heard it here first, people. Food bloggers, not real professionals. No, I mean, some of them are, but, like, you know, a lot of them aren't. <laughs> I know. I just like to highlight when you make those those sweeping generalisms. Oh God, I, like I to know. Those. You know I hate it. I'm sorry. To all the food bloggers, I love you. I use all your stuff all the time. I'm so you sorry. You are a food blogger. Yeah, but like, you know, politely. And I admit all my faults. And I don't post super often because it's not my fucking job. I know. I, know. I just um, like that you were calling out your own kind. <laughs> I'm also really bad at writing recipes. because like, I'm good at writing recipes. I'm not good at writing, like, you know, the whole, like... You know, it started on a Thursday 10 weeks ago when my husband said to me this, and then my child requested oh. this, and they all coalesced into this one bacon sandwich. You <laughs> mean the part that everyone hates about every food blog? Yeah, kind of. But like, I'm the so best bad food blog, The best food blog I ever saw had a button at the top that said, skip to recipe. Yes. I Yeah, that's a good button. Because I like to read those sometimes, but not every time. Because once you read it once, you're like, just give me the fucking recipe when you go back to it, right? Sure. Um, anyway, I'm so sorry. These people, who are wonderful, wrote a book that I thought was subpar called Splendid Egg. 
and it was a recipe all focused on eggs, but like eggs, eggs don't do that many things. <laughs> like I hate to tell you, but they really don't. Like they're good. You can put them in, you know, brunch frittata, pancakes. Then you hit lunch and you can get an omelet. Then you hit dinner and you can make like an egg curry. There's not much going on. I very much want this podcast to now become a Malavika, if she was in Forrest Gump, listing every single way you can eat or cook an egg. Uh, you can I'm have sorry. a frittata. You can have. <laughs> I don't mean to call them out. They, I mean, like I said, I think they're an excellent food blog. I would highly recommend that you go check out their recipes. They're great. They're very creative. They have great aesthetic design. Um, but like, I was just very disappointed in their cookbook. And I, it's not that I don't think they worked hard or. I just like wasn't inspired by any of them because you, you can't do that much with eggs. And I think that's the problem with cookbooks is that cookbook deals are good because they give you income and I have to respect that. Do you worry that because you're such an important media celebrity now that we do this podcast that they're going to hear that and they're going to become so like beside themselves that they're going to absolutely quit. They're going to take their website down and they're going to become like plumbers. I don't, but what I would fear is that they would hear it and say, and write me an email being like, who the fuck are you to judge us? You try and write a cookbook based on like something that some media company has pitched us. You Could you do any better? And the answer is probably no. <laughs> I welcome that email. I hope that this gets to them somehow, that they listen to this and that they send to our show's email, which is rlathepodcast at gmail.com. Send us your questions and comments there. Um, I hope that they do send that email and that I, I can text you and say, hey, uh, check the, the show's email because you got one a hot one waiting for you. Nice and over easy with the dippable yolk. <laughs> You know, it's been bad. It's, I'm not sure I have in, the name of their cookbook right. <laughs> <laughs> you better believe this is all going in. Please. It's called The Perfect Egg. The Perfect Egg. With a name like The Perfect Egg, if that egg ain't perfect, I'm now disappointed in my purchase. Just putting well, it out there. Like I said, I am so sorry. It's not like you can love everything somebody's ever done. You can call it like you see it. That's kind of the whole point. In fact, I would hope that you would call it like you see it. I mean, I try to, but, yeah. you know. So, don't be so hard on yourself because you <laughs> didn't hear for a, a fucking cookbook. Call it like you see it. Our <laughs> listeners will very much approve. Anyway, tell me what you thought about eggs. I put eggs on here because, and this is actually, and I put this on here because I 100% knew this was going to be what happened. That you would go kind of in the more ethereal eggs as a concept or eggs as a, you know, I follow this blog and they put out a cookbook about it, something like that. No, I went heavy emotion with it. Eggs to me are a very important food, food stuff. Um, I didn't eat a lot of eggs growing up. Uh, I, my mother hates eggs. One of those things where if one of your parents hates something, you probably aren't going to have a lot of it, you know, in, in your life. You're not going to have it around much. Um, I would have occasionally scrambled eggs with salsa, Mexican eggs, you know, is, is what we called it. Because mostly that was the only kind that my mother was into. Makes sense. Um, when I would go into my grandma's house, probably in my mid-childhood, so let's say anywhere from like 8 to 14, that range. 
Um, my grandma always cooked for my grandpa. She was, I mean, she cooked all the meals, but she used to make for him bacon and eggs. And I had never really had fried eggs much. Like my mother had made them a handful of times, but not liking them. She wasn't great at it. So, so back in the year, like I, I didn't like it myself. Um, but then there were a couple of times that my grandma had made too much bacon and eggs for my grandpa. And there was some left, you know, who doesn't love bacon first? And my grandma made great, great bacon. She used little, little pieces. So each one was cut and like cooked perfectly. But I would have the leftovers. Oh, there's a hard egg and two pieces of bacon. Do you want it? Yeah, sure. I, it was one of those things where like you watching a movie or a TV show where like, as soon as it touched my tongue, like my eyes glazed over and I was in this whole other world of like, holy shit, this is, this is eggs. <laughs> this is what this is supposed to taste like. Uh, so anytime that I would go over to my grandma's or that she knew I was coming over, she would have bacon and eggs a lot of times ready for me, or she would have the bacon out of the freezer thawing. And so that when I got there, she could cook it for me. Um, so not only was this one of the most wonderful things that, that one of the most wonderful wonderful people, um, my grandma, who I, I miss terribly anymore. But it was also something I bonded with my grandfather over. Um, he's, you know, in his mid-80s now, so this would have been 20 years ago. So he would have been in his mid-60s. Um, we didn't have things to talk about other than, like, we watching TV or, you know, what, what do you talk about when you're 10 and you're trying to talk to a, you know, 65-year-old uh, you, you know, Air Force vet that served in the Korean War and then came home and worked at the um, at the airport and then worked in a brush making machine shop for 30 years. Like it, it wasn't like we had things in common or anything like that. But this eggs specifically, and it's kind of ridiculous, but it's true. It's one of the first things that we had really in common that then we bonded over and we would have, we would eat eggs together. Like that was our thing was my grandma would make bacon and eggs for us and, and we'd both eat them. We liked them the same way. We liked it, you know, the bacon the same way. And it, it's just a really meaningful, even when I eat bacon and eggs now, I, I had some just a couple of days ago that I made for myself. Like that is the first thing I think of, and it's something that kind of kind of warms me whenever I do. So that's why I wanted to talk about eggs. That's a very lovely story. Thank you. I like that story. Um, I actually do have bacon, and I was thinking what to do with it. It needs to get eaten soon. <laughs> <laughs> I always have at least one rasher of bacon in the freezer. Um, I think I had four when the when the isolation started, I think I'm down to two because every once in a while I'll I'll generally do the unhealthy thing and I'll make the whole pack just because it makes a mess. So I like to get it all over at once. Yeah, that's fair. But um, then I try not to eat the whole pack. But <laughs> we're not all perfect like you, Malavika. Uh, I'm far from perfect. <laughs> as we all so that's that's why eggs was on my list and why I wanted you to go first. <laughs> I think your story was a good follow-up story to my like complete nonsense. <laughs> I liked it very much. I liked yours very much. Um, I would like to ask you about why Elizabethtown is on here. Because it is a fantastic movie. That if you, it is the best movie that Paula Deen ever made. Barney. <laughs> And well, I say you know, that when the bar is that high. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, so I just I 
literally just watched this last night because it is a movie that I own on DVD. Um, I don't own many movies, but the ones that I do are, are generally pretty important to me or meaningful to me. Uh, and this one, this one is on here because it gives me the feels. And it's related to something I talked about a little bit in episode D, which is uh, the concept of the grand gesture. Oh. For me, the movie Elizabeth Town, and I, I'm not going to, I'll give a brief overview. There's uh, a guy who works for a shoe company that he, at the very beginning of the movie, you find out that his big shoe launch has been an absolute failure. It's the worst failure in history. He's going to lose his company a billion dollars. Um, his boss, this, this, Character is played by Orlando Bloom, fresh off of um, this would have been fresh off of Lord of the Rings. Um, in in oh five is when this came out. So yeah. he does not look like Legolas. He he does not have long blonde hair. So yeah, Elizabeth Town um, came out in between the two pirates movies after yeah. Lord of the Rings movies. Orlando Bloom, um, the Kirsten Dunst is kind of the female love interest throughout. Um, but I like Kirsten Dunst. I've always too. liked her. And this was very much in her, probably her most famous period as well. So that they they both were bringing the heat in terms of where they were in their careers at that time, um, which is why I know a lot of people don't like this movie. They think it's silly. They think it's you know, I don't know. You can look up all the criticisms if you want. That's that's not what I care about. For me, this movie has the best representation of a grand gesture that I can really think of in terms of a romantic grand gesture. Um, there's a lot that goes on. You, you find that um, Orlando Bloom's father has just recently passed away while he was visiting family in Kentucky. And the, the crux of the movie is um, Orlando Bloom needs to go down to Elizabethtown, Kentucky, where his, his extended family that he doesn't know and hasn't seen since he was a little kid is to go pick up his father's body and bring it back to, um, to Oregon or, or California, where his mother lives. And there's all these themes of like his mother was seen as the one that took his father out of the town and away from his family. And he doesn't know, but these people are all very welcoming to him. It's that culture shock of, you know, he's coming from uh, the the big, basically the Silicon Valley world, even though it's of shoes. Um, and then he goes to like down home Kentucky where people are like waving to him from the steps, you know, the, the, from the front porch kind of thing. Um, but But what really gets me and what gets me every time is... Kirsten Dunn's character because she sees a man in pain. She sees somebody in pain and she relates to that pain and she kind of realizes what she can do. Like, like you kind of talked about, she realizes what she can do immediately for this mm -hmm. person yeah. to have him feel less pain or feel less alone in, in this going on. And the the grand gesture in it to me, and it has this montage of him following a scrapbook that she made for him, of because he never got to take a road trip with his dad, and it's something that you know they they'd wanted to do, but he had kept pushing off for his career. Um, she basically puts together for him the music and the sights and all the instructions for taking a road trip with his oh, wow. his father, a last road trip, and it just I mean it hits me it it hits me the in my feels so hard. Um, so really, why I wanted to bring it up was as a representation, even beyond the movie. I love the movie. And I was actually thinking more than, like, the movies that interest me and, like, make me feel that way about, like, what reviews actually mean. Oh, okay. Please. Um, but briefly, I 
I feel that reviews are sometimes important, but like, honestly, some of my favorite books and favorite movies aren't things that are well-reviewed. And the thing is, if you always follow the reviews, and, and same thing with favorite restaurants, too. Like, if you always follow the reviews, like, you may not end up to what is good for you, right? Right. And I don't know how to ever, like, explain that. Because sometimes you're like, if I like the plot, I just have to take a chance. Like, Agreed. And and just for context, um, it has a 29% Elizabethtown has a 29% on Rotten Tomatoes. It has a 45% on Metacritic and it is a 6.4 out of 10 on IMDb. So IMDb. Okay. Um, the, the other two it's, it's pretty poorly reviewed. Yeah. And I, but like, that doesn't mean it's not worth watching. Right. It's not like, I don't I so. see any problem like reading a two star book because that often happens with me because I read a lot of like, lighter romancy books and sometimes like you know the books that are like four or five stars i don't enjoy that much like because I, I think like part of it is also expectations but also part of it is that like sometimes it's not my taste right um in terms of books that hit me or movies that hit me emotionally recently marriage story on netflix mm. i think it was such a realistic depiction of like human emotion that it was hard to watch at times. And I, I loved it. And it was very also well, well, you know, reviewed and all that. Um, but like, there's a scene in this movie and it doesn't really give much away because like, they're getting divorced. That's like the premise of the movie. Now that's the one where it's Kylo Ren versus Black Widow, right? Yes. Where they, where they battle for an infinity stone or something. They battle for an infinity child. Oh, okay. Yeah. The ultimate savior. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there's a scene in it where he's like, the they're fighting, and he's like, I hate you so much, and I wish you would, like, go away. Like, I just want you to die, but I don't want to hurt you because I still care, like, you know, in the mm -hmm. past. And I think that's just such a relatable feeling of, like, the frustration you can feel with people. Um, of, like, wanting, the, like, hating them, hating their actions, but, like, still caring for them in some capacity. And, like, just that contradiction, I think, is very human. Um, three billboards outside of Ebbing's, Mississippi. Missouri. Missouri, thank you. I love that movie. It was a great dark comedy. I think it dealt with, like, a lot of the very hard themes that are in modern life. Um, especially surrounding women, actually, that happen and, like, the things that I think a lot of women fear. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it dealt with it in a really good way, and it like made me think a lot. Um, Frances McDormand is a powerhouse, of course. But she did a great job. Yeah. I this agree. brings up the question: Have you ever seen Sam Rockwell in any movie where he wasn't perfect, or he wasn't probably the best character, or just perfect in that movie? And I'm going to spoil and say no. There's he's never made a movie where the I movie know. itself might not be great. He's always perfect. I just saw this like romantic comedy with him and um, oh my god, I'm looking on her name from Pitch Perfect. Um, it's like he's an assassin. <laughs> I can see her face. Anna Kendrick, Mr. Wright. I heard about that. I have not seen it. Not the best movie ever, but still very enjoyable because he and her are both good ac actors and mm. they're both very talented and they make you like, believe this kind of very implausible plot. <laughs> He's amazing in Galaxy Quest. He's amazing mm -hmm. in Matchstick Man. He's amazing in Moon, I thought. I thought. Yeah, I mean, he is that whole movie. 
Did you ever see Moon? I saw Moon. That's the one where he's on a spaceship and he thinks he's going home. He's well, he's on the moon, but he he thinks he's going home soon. Yeah, he yeah. thinks his shift is ending. Yeah, yeah. No. He's he's amazing. I mean, say what you will, and this has gone way off the rails. But Sam Rockwell, I I've never seen him in anything where I didn't think he was amazing, even if the movie itself sucked. I guess the bottom line of this whole segment is give things a chance if you think you may like it or if you're bored. Sometimes, yeah. like I said, a lot of my favorite books, a lot of my things that really spoke well to me are just because I heard the plot premise and I was like, that sounds like something I would like. Um, there's a book I will pitch called Never Sweeter by Charlotte Stein. And mm-hmm. it's not it's not like poorly reviewed, but I just thought it was and it's not like a realistic portrayal of a romance, but um, it just had a lot of components that were very good. I think the tension between the characters were really good. Um, basically, the premise is there's a girl. She was bullied in high school. She's kind of bigger. Um, and the main bully is this high school wrestler. And so she goes to college and is living her life. And then that wrestler ends up transferring to her college. And he wants to make amends <laughs> and mm-hmm. she doesn't really know how to react to that or how to feel mm-hmm. about that um and i just i love the kind of like tension between the two characters and that dynamic between them and i think it's something that's kind of like understated in a way and like i said it's not like maybe the most realistic reconciliation of a bully and his <laughs> bully but like you know it's enjoyable and how would i have known that unless i read it you know right yeah, so I think it's it's good to take a chance. It's good to go to a restaurant that maybe it's not well-reviewed. Because sometimes they're really yeah. still good. Yeah. And sometimes the reviews are just bullshit. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, I mean, a lot, you, you get a lot more people that are going to review a bad experience than a good one. Yes, exactly. One thing I do want to say back about Elizabethtown, just to highlight it even more. Um, <clears throat> it, the, the guy who directed it is Cameron Crowe. Very famous director, but he has also done, and I'll, I'll name you some of his other movies, um, Say Anything, Jerry Maguire, and Almost Famous. Oh, shit. Did you ever Did you ever see Almost Famous? Mm, a long time ago. I don't remember it. <laughs> it's a fucking amazing movie. Um, yes, it, it's basically a, a f- slightly fictionalized version of Cameron Crowe's own, uh, well, young adulthood. Because the, what happened to the character in, in Almost Famous is what happened to Cameron Crowe. But um, the vibes that Almost Famous gives off, there's there's some of that. Like, you can sense the DNA of Cameron Crowe in Elizabethtown, which is which is why I really like it. That plus, I just wanted to bring that in there because, you know, like you're saying, sometimes with movies specifically, you know, a movie doesn't get a great review or something like that. But if it's from... A, a director or an actor or you know someone that you like the works of that you like their style like christopher nolan obviously one of the best directors in of the, his whole generation but i know and i've known for a long time any movie christopher nolan puts out i'm going to see because chances are i'm going to absolutely love it same yeah. kind of thing um all right you should pick a topic all right tell me about or re- rather tell me why estimation is on your list Okay, I guess this is like slightly tangential, but how, so this is what I was thinking about, but like I love baking and cooking and I think after a certain point when you really love something, you understand some fundamental principles about how it works. 
So you can say, okay, I don't want to put this much oil in, so I'm going to do X amount of applesauce and X amount of oil to kind of compensate. But I think that takes like a lot of time and skill sure. to do it properly because I, in college, was very against fats for you know, health reasons. And um, I would often try to cut out fats from whatever I was cooking and then be surprised when the end product was shit. <laughs> I was like, why does this not taste good? We would not be surprised though. <laughs> um, but I, I was just thinking about kind of this, I, this ability to estimate and to understand kind of principles. And so like now I feel not all the time, you know, I'm not that skilled of a baker, but I'm pretty good. I'm a good home baker. And now I feel like when I look at a recipe, I can kind of tell if it's going to work out well or or not work out at all, just based on the ingredient list being like, ooh, that's not going to work for me. It's not that like, it's not necessarily going to work overall, but it's like, oh, you know, that has like way too much sugar. I'm not going to enjoy how sweet this is. Or, you know, I'm not sure that this method of mixing it is going to end up the way I want it to be. Um, I think I have a better sense of that now. And I think it's like an interesting skill set that I never thought about when I was younger and cooking um, in particular. And I was just curious if you over time have developed skill sets in like predicting um, how well you can estimate things. Because like for me, it's estimating how like how much cooking time, how much of the sugar do you actually need to put in to have it taste well, good versus like taste like shit and the texture be off. Like I think now I can be like, you can take out an eighth of a cup of sugar and you'll be fine. But you know, I didn't have that before. Yeah. Um, uh, for me, it, it doesn't relate to cooking so much as yeah. um, when I was young, I would, I was a major procrastinator, but I was always good at estimating how long something would actually take me. Um, how long a project would take, how long a homework would take, you know, whatever, so that I could fit that into whether it was the same day it was due, whether it was right before the class, it was, you know, whatever, I would still get it done. I was pretty good at that. But I found that in my professional career, as I do more and more like projects and things, that I, I've always been much more cautious and much more, you know, I have a much better work ethic at work than I ever did in school. So <clears throat> I will find, I will say that over over the time that I've been doing, um, that I've worked for the government and worked in different roles, I have gotten much better at estimating the amount of time something will actually take me to do and estimating how much time I should ask for in case of in case something pops up in case you know I'm working multiple things and I don't have that much time to put towards it in you know a certain number of days that kind of thing I've, I've certainly gotten better at that over time yeah I think it's like a cool it's almost like a superpower to know that kind of thing right yeah somebody can like, ask you what yeah how how much applesauce would you put in this recipe to get rid of some of this butter <laughs> And you'd be like a third. Yeah, one <laughs> Don't third. do more than that. No, you'll yeah. regret it. But like the same thing with work, though. It, knowing how long it's going to take you to do something is a huge like skill set. And I agree. I think it is still, even if you know you only need an hour to do something, doing it early is better than doing it later. <laughs> if, yes, but and it, it's and something then, I struggle with. I do want to also bring up the um, the Montgomery Scott principle from the classic Star Trek. Of you you always multiply by four how long something's going to actually take you, so that when when you come in at an hour and you said four hours, you're a miracle worker. Yes, <laughs> agree. 
I don't do it maybe quite that bad, but uh, you have a little buffer time. For there's an element of wrong. It. Yeah. You definitely need a buffer, and especially when things often go wrong, there you you got to build that in. Yeah, um, but that's all I have to say about estimation. Yeah. Okay. Um, tell me your thoughts on Ender's Game. Oof, going right for it. Yeah. So to continue, apparently the absolute <laughs> classic sci-fi novels that I'm I'm bringing, you know, bringing you to the are, table. You are. You are. Most people are familiar with Ender's Game. You may have read it in school. Uh, you may have seen the movie with Harrison Ford. Uh, if that's your only knowledge of it, please forget that you saw that. Like, I'm a massive Ender's Game fan, and even I was like, this movie ain't great. Um, <laughs> the book is fantastic. It, for, for those that don't know, it's about a brilliant kid that basically gets taken by the military to train at the special school because humanity is at war with this alien species and they find that the creativity of children is is much higher than that of adults that they can train the children to think tactically and critically and come up with these different battle um you know, battle plans and different battle strategies uh, so that this, this alien race is taken off. You know, they, they don't expect it or it's something new to use against them because the, the bugs are largely winning. Um, with that said, it is a very personal book. It's very personal about the main character child. It's not nearly as much about the militaristic aspects of it or anything like that. It's about a kid in a school. There are bullies. Um, there are weird things going on. You know, he has great friends. There are there's drama. You know, stuff like that, enveloped in this amazing sci-fi world. That the real reason I want to bring it up and and why I bring it up, knowing that there's many people that are familiar with it and maybe even have read it, is there are three books that come after it that are I think even better because. It's not – so Ender's Game is about this kid Ender, Andrew Wiggins, uh, as a child in this school, all this stuff going on. That's great. The next three books, because of the time it takes to travel between planets, um, basically you don't age while the world around you – you know, rel- uh, relativistic time and things like that. Well, he does age over time. He does become like a, a, in his 30s, I think, somewhere around there. And he, he goes to this planet that is – he well – let me even go backwards. After the events of Ender's Game, he regrets what he was kind of forced to do and what he what he kind of was brought up to do in this militaristic way. Because, you know, when you're a kid and you the government grabs you and says, this is what you're meant for and this is what you're going to do, uh, you know, you kind of go along with it and all that. Once he realizes the scope of what that was and what that had done um, at the end of Ender's Game, he becomes and creates this idea of what's called the speaker for the dead. This is someone, um, I guess you would call it akin to someone uh, giving a eulogy that goes after someone passes away, kind of giving a speech or giving, you know, their words at the funeral. But it's not kind of how we do it culturally of looking at people through rose colored glasses and, you know, someone that may have been abusive or an angry alcoholic or, you know, something like that. And then at the funeral, everyone's like, Oh, he was a good man and a good father. He was a good, like uh, the speaker for the dead was about finding out 
more about the actual person and not shit talking. I'm not saying, oh, he was a real piece of shit, but going into their life and and trying to find out who who was that person actually. Like, why were they abusive? Were they, you know, did they have an abusive child? That kind of thing. Mm. Going into it and then more eulogizing in their own words, like what telling about what that person was completely the good and the bad. And that was a concept that to me that, that thinking about somebody that's passed as anything more than just, you know, Oh, don't speak ill of the dead. Can't speak ill of the dead. You know, that, that kind of thing. I think that ignoring or forgetting what was a part of someone when they were alive is just as much of a disservice at, you know, as, as losing any other part of them because, we're all complex. We all do things we regret. We all do things, you know, that other people don't like and that kind of thing. And then to just ignore that is to ignore, unfortunately, a, a part of people. Um, the books aren't just about that. There's a lot of sci-fi elements of it, too, and, and all that. But just that concept, like the second book is called Speaker for the Dead because that's that's what Ender becomes in this universe. And I've always liked that. Like I've, I've given um, – well, I've written some eulogies. I gave I gave my grandmother's eulogy in 2017, and I I I'm not gonna lie, I kind of did that. I, I included a story from a journal of hers that was very telling of who she was as a person, and it was her writing a bit negatively about my my uh, great grandmother and great aunt at the time because she was taking care of them, and they were both like they they were upset that they lived that long. They were upset. They were just angry, all of that kind of thing. And my grandma kind of wrote in it like, I I really hope that if I live that long that I don't become like this because to to have this long of a life, they both lived into their mid mid nineties, to have this long of a life and and to be so angry and so you know, you know, unpleasant at moments and things like that, what what a waste that is of the time that you're given. And my grandma would have seen that, you know, that that was the meanest she ever got, was writing true words about something like that. But I, I read that passage in her eulogy just because, like, that wasn't a side of my grandma most people knew. And, and I think it added this nice layer of, like, complexity and, and showed kind of more the person that I knew very well, the person I, I was very close to. And it kind of came from what the Ender's Game books become of this idea of the speaker for the dead. It's a very lovely sentiment. I've never read Speaker for the Dead. I did enjoy Ender's Game. And what's the other book with Bean? Oh, yeah. There's the, the there's prequel. a whole series. There's a whole series of yeah. Bean books. Bean Shadow and uh, Shadow the read, Giant. And, uh, yeah, I think I read Bean Shadow. And Ender was, Shadow. No, sorry. Ender, Ender Shadow. Shadow. Ender Shadow. Yeah, 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 yeah. And Ender Shadow. And they're both they're excellent books. They're worth reading for anyone, even if you're not into sci-fi yeah. per se. I think they're good books about adolescents engaging in very complex adult activities. And I, I like that aspect of it. Yes. And I do. I mean, and I've never read it probably, as an adult though. Yeah. Sorry. It, it holds up. Okay. Uh, people probably know this. Uh, Orson Scott card is kind of a bigoted. He has views that I very much disagree with on a lot of yes, things, I've heard uh, this. <laughs> which to me was a tremendous surprise because like the concept of speaker for the dead and, and things like that. It's a very inclusive and very truth telling sort you know, a very honest and realistic look at people in general that we're all connected, that we're all, you know, we all have these flaws. We all have these things. So I was unfortunately um, very sad to find out that, that he has some very harsh and very, what I find to be bigoted and, and bad views on things. Um, but I try to separate the person from the content um, to, to, 
for me, it's something I've been able to do. I know that not everyone can do that or wants to do that. So that's why I bring it up. Yeah. And I, I mean, going off this, like separating people from the content, I sometimes struggle with moral relativism. I cannot deny this part of it. And that's really hard for me. And, and so I feel I am often able to separate the person from the content but especially in this day and age, I feel like that is not necessarily the most appropriate thing or the most widely accepted thing, especially among people in our generation, yeah. which is, can be a challenge for me. Um, I, especially with, um, I think something that's come up more recently is kind of like um, homosexuality and kind of how it's accepted in the government versus, the, mm-hmm. so like, I have no problem with it. Um, over time, my sister and I have told, like made my parents be like fine with it. We're like, you can't say that. That's like not appropriate. You can't. And they're like, you know what? People are people, yeah. um, and we're and we're happy about that. Like you can't evolve and change your mind and like accept people for who they are. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for example, I was watching a YouTuber who is reviewing books, and I do enjoy um, fiction between two male protagonists and romances like gay fiction and she was saying that she was no longer going to read gay fiction because one there even though it's qualified uh, classified as gay fiction it's often it's most often male male it's it's never really female female people don't write that and most of the gay fiction is written by white straight female authors and she was like this is incorrect you know this is like fetishizing a lifestyle blah 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 and I'm going to stop reading it. And on one hand, I kind of could understand where she was coming from. But the other hand, I'm like, this is a fictional piece. I didn't expect this to be a realistic relation- depiction of a relationship. Like, I don't expect when I read a romance to be a realistic depiction of a relationship of a male and a female. And I'm, right. like, a cisgendered, like, female, like, straight female. So, right. like, I I found it, like, a very harsh stance to take. And I, I struggle with that. And, on like I said, on one hand, I'm like, respect for you for really standing up for what you believe in. By the other hand, I was like, I don't know if you should just cut that all out. <laughs> like, <laughs> there's good fiction there. And and somehow Call me by I your think, name? Yeah, call me by your name. But no, who's that written? That's not a straight way. Andre also, no, it's not a female. No, yeah. No. Um and and so like I struggle with that. Um cutting things out if I don't agree with one aspect of their personality. Sure. And it's the same thing we've talked about in politics as well, whether or not you agree with their political life versus their personal life and how much that crosses over. I don't know. It is something that I actively have to watch what I say in front of people, knowing the people. There are some people I will never say anything to against them because I like them in various other capacities. And I know we're not going to agree on something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's. I mean, it's also come up politically, you know, especially the relativism of it, of um, with dictatorships. And if a yes. dictatorship does something good, can you say it was a good thing? I know that was a, a big thing with Bernie Sanders talking about the education system in Cuba, and that you can, you know, you can decry the the Castro regimes uh, themselves, yeah, absolutely, yeah. but say one thing they did at least pretty great was, you know, their education system. Everybody's educated, everybody, you know, to, to a T, whereas we're lagging behind in that. And yeah, he got spanked for, sure. for it. I mean, he got absolutely yeah, railroaded. But like, you know, I just, I don't get that. You, you I like, know. makes for good, a good soundbite. 
Yeah, maybe. But like good people do bad things and bad people do good things, whether or not it's like conscious or relative. You know, yeah. So I think it's like you have to draw your own line for yourself and people don't want to do that. But I agree. The soundbite is is important in this day and age. <laughs> I mean, it's easy to say, oh, somebody said something nice about Cuba. They must be a communist. Oh, he's a socialist. Yeah, that figure, you know, that kind of stuff. Or like anything else, it's it's nuanced. It's how bad is the like one having views that you don't agree with or or that you find bigoted or that you find awful you know in this case um that is different than committing crimes that is different than somebody that's you know fucking bill cosby or something like that Uh, i can totally understand where somebody that may have loved bill cosby or or loved his comedy whatever loved his shows can now not look at it or not think about it because so many lines were crossed and so many people were hurt and, and that kind of thing so i do I, I just want to make clear. I, I understand that's a personal choice for everybody. I think at some point, I just feel like everyone's line is different. Yeah. <laughs> and that is, like I said, something as someone who wants to give credit where credit is due. You, you probably do that more than just about anyone that I know. <laughs> you 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 say like it could be a horrible situation, and you'd be like, "Well, I mean, at least the the stools were comfortable." <laughs> I don't think I go that far. But uh, you I try to, to find a silver lining in everything. Yeah, because otherwise it's just all shit, right? It's just all yeah. a hot yeah. steaming pile of shit. Yeah. All right. Um, is it my, my turn? turn? Yeah. Expiration dates. Do you like them? them? Hate them? Do you believe them? What it, what's 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 the Malavika tried and true? I feel like I believe in expiration dates, but only at a certain point. If the milk is okay. expired one day ago i'm probably gonna still drink the milk if milk is expired three days ago i'll probably still like sniff the milk and drink it if it's good and then after seven days i'm like no more but do you believe that expiration dates are real fake are they suggested are you i'm just curious a short topic yeah i they're there for a reason probably two reasons one is because otherwise you would never know like if I'll use an example of a bottle of ibuprofen. If I bought a bottle of ibuprofen and didn't use much of it and it sat on the shelf, well, if you're somebody else that's, you know, didn't buy that bottle of ibuprofen that's thinking, you know, oh, I'm going to take two ibuprofen and this is going to work fine. But you look on it and it's like, oh, shit, this expired in 1987. You know, like the (laughs) the effectiveness of that is not going to be there. So, yes, it's good. It's good that that is there to to give context and to give the time period recommended by, you know, the government or or whoever sets specific um, expiration dates. I will say they also set them in a way that um, they don't really mean expiration. That's the wrong word for it. And it's a harsh word for it. Yeah, I, I think a lot of times it's much more a sell-by date than anything else. You, you know, some things yeah. do have a sell-by date, but uh, I I use them as guidelines, and I Me too. evaluate each one from there. Uh, I have gotten on my parents for different things of, of basically that badly of like, oh, this ibuprofen expired when I was a freshman in high school. Like, <laughs> maybe, maybe we should get a, a, a different bottle of it at this point, but, you know, that kind of shit, but. Yeah. Or these spices are from before when my 47-year-old uncle was born. Not that they're bad, but... They're just not as potent. I mean, that's, spices are the worst because they do lose their potency very quickly. But I agree. Yeah. Yeah, I was using like makeup from high school or like middle school. 
until like two years ago and I was like, I don't need this. Like, <laughs> like what? Like it, there's no way that it's like fresh and healthy and good, you know, but right. Uh, as long as it doesn't hurt you, I guess it's okay up to a certain point. Just don't expect yeah. it to be good. Yeah. I got another short one for you. Okay. Have you ever been elected to anything? I mean, uh, to organizations, like leadership positions, sure. Yeah. Okay. With with full votes and campaigning? Um, not as much. Not as much campaigning and full votes. It's more like I apply and then some smaller board, uh, you know, Approves decision. it or select. Yeah, I, I've never been someone who's going to win a popularity contest. Not that I'm not, like, you know, not that I don't have friends or I'm you, not. You could like, win accepted. if you wanted to. You you could win probably an, an election of sorts. You're pretty sociable. Uh, I would have to put some effort, but sure. <laughs> like, yes. Maybe. Yes, you would. Maybe. I have won a total of one election in Ooh. my life. Okay. I, I'm I'm always the person, like, in, a, in any group setting, I'm going to be the one that's picked to be the uh, foreman of the jury or the you know oh, the spokesperson for the group or any yeah. I, that is just a role I always get. I'm not even talking about that. In seventh grade, going into eighth grade, I decided that I was going to join the National Junior Honor Society because it was yeah. easy to do. And then I decided that I wanted to be president. Okay. So, <laughs> so the morning of, and my mother still tells the story because it still blows her mind. But the morning of what was supposed, like we had to give speeches and we had to like, there was a full vote of like 60 people voting and you know, like all, all this stuff. Um, I wrote my speech the morning of while I was eating oatmeal at, at like before I went to school and like just on a note card, just, just sitting there writing it. And I won and I became president and like people had been putting so much time into it and they'd been campaigning and they'd been doing it like, uh, there's not a ton of campaigning you do when you're in middle school. But for me, it was just like, Hey, you know, I gave my speech. I was still pretty personable back then. Um, as kind of as I am now. And I was elected to it. I will say I, I, Tried. I think I did a pretty good job as the president, as much as in some middle school organization you can do. I did not join the National Honor Society when I was in <laughs> because of just pure laziness, and I regret it. I, it was a, a sore a sore spot between my my then girlfriend and I because all you had to do was like put in a, a form and just yeah. join it. And there were like a hundred people. You know, it wasn't like it was any big thing. But uh, yeah, my laziness overwhelmed my good sense but i i still have that positive memory of like in middle school it was nice to win an election like it was nice to win a vote that was that was pretty cool i think that's so i mean i think that makes complete sense based on like what i know of you and how personable you are i think for me i'm not someone who necessarily like i'm social but i'm not that social <laughs> yeah and uh yeah, and I think I also don't want to be someone who puts myself out there in that capacity. So respect well, you for doing it. <laughs> as a pro podcaster, you are really going to be uh, changing changing your views on that when we win all the awards at the podcasties. I, I assume there's some sort of podcast award. Yeah, I show. think there is, it's just but I legitimately out. don't know. <laughs> yeah, there's got to be a podcast award. Yeah, um, I think I think we should talk about the the. Final thing that we should be talking about is what are you excited for? What 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 on the horizon or what that you're doing now or you, you've experienced recently, what really got you jazzed? Oh, okay. Um, 
there's like two or three books that are coming out. So Collapsing Empire, is the third book in the series by John Scalzi. Scalzi. Scalzi is coming out this week. And I'm very excited for it. I think it's a great series. It's very fun, very space opera. Um, it has a female protagonist who just is great. Like done very well. Uh, easy to read. Highly recommend The Collapsing Empire. So the third book in that series, and I, it's a trilogy, so it's the final book, is coming out this week. So if you've been holding out, please go check it out. Really worth I it. I have been holding out. I do want to say I've not read these these specific books. This is the third one. Of, but his Old Man Wars trilogy uh, yeah. is some of the best shit I've ever read. And it's I'm so glad to good. talk about it. Also, when did this become our uh, real-life sci-fi book podcast? I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't know, because I don't actually read that much sci-fi. <laughs> Me either. Like, a lot of this stuff I read years and years ago. It's kind of funny how it's stuck for us like this. But with that said, yeah. I will be getting uh, all three of these books uh, that, that this one is the third one of. So I'll give an update in, I don't know, five letters on how, <laughs> what I thought of them. I, they're very easy to read. It's a good like weekend read. They're not very long. Um, and I know like that makes it when I recommend sci-fi to people because I don't read a lot of sci-fi because sometimes I find it very like hard to get into or it's introducing a lot of concepts that are very um, jarring at the same time. And if you're not used to it, I think it's hard to read because it's like, well, I didn't expect it a truple like a thruple to happen <laughs> like what is happening in this book and on top of everything else being not right but i think like he takes a world and he puts like a very reasonable kind of like forward button on a certain concept and then is able to build from that and i think the plot is good the characters are good it's just it's a good read it's enjoyable um so that's coming out um so there is another food blogger who wrote the blog dash and bella Phyllis Grant, and so she's coming out with a memoir slash cookbook that I'm very excited about, and it's called Everything is Under Control, and I, as a, I don't, I guess I don't know how it is for men out there. I've never actually asked guys if they like her writing style, but she writes like a very emotional, very honest way when you, she talks about kind of like failures in relationships or feeling like shut out from like her husband in specific situations or feeling like very attracted to him and how she feels about her kids. And I think it's like just so authentic, her writing style. And it's something that I think is, like I said, very universal and authentic, but it's, it's something that I think we often gloss over because we're afraid to admit it. We're afraid to say like, well, I felt shut out from him in this situation. Like you would never write that. I, I, Right. Not that you would never, but like I think it's something that you wouldn't necessarily talk about, and I think she writes about it in a ver in a way that makes sense, and it's clear that she engages in all these different parts of her relationships with her children and her husband, um, and and kind of talking about like being a woman and having this kind of multiple identity as like a parent and a partner and and someone who wants to create. And I've always respected that about her blog post. And I've been looking forward to her, this cookbook for like three or four years now since I found out it's been a long time coming. So that's coming out in about two weeks. Um, and then the last book is another memoir by a food blogger as well, who's had a very, I know, I'm like, so I'm a disappointment to you. You are not a disappointment to me. It's just, this oh, is God. why we both be doing this because it, it, it you're, you're never going to get that content from me <laughs> it's got to come from somebody um but she is a food blogger who 
Um, she's writing a memoir actually called The Fixed Stars, and she wrote a book about um, she she blogged under Orangette. And her first memoir kind of centered around her meeting her husband through food blogging, actually. So she went to Stanford and she became a writer and she became a kind of a recipe developer. And she she writes very like, you know, also very emotional sort of posts, I think, like not just like this recipe is amazing, but kind of like giving a backstory to like her life. And and, and that's what makes it compelling, I think. Um, and so kind of her memoirs in the past and recipe books have been surrounded of by her and her husband and then she had a kid and then she had this kind of crazy switch where she realized very kind of like late in her 30s that or in her 30s that she no longer felt attracted to men Mm. and she kind of felt like she was very attracted to women and she went through this whole crisis because she did love her husband and she did care for him and she kind of outlined a little bit of this in her blog um and so she ends up divorcing her husband and being with a woman and kind of her experience with the kind of late blooming lesbian is, uh, you know, like changing her sexuality. And I just found it such like, even like she, like I said, she didn't write that much about it in her blog, but she like mentioned it here and there that she and her husband own a restaurant together. They're still business partners. And so she had been like, our restaurants are still happening. Like, you know, we're still good friends. We have a good relationship, blah, blah, blah. But like, you know, we're not together anymore. And, um, I think it just in terms of sexuality, I thought it's like kind of once you figure it out, it's a little bit static. Yeah. Or like there's like a range that you need to figure out you're in. And it never occurred to me that the range could be that wide. And so and I think she's a very intelligent woman. I think she's someone who's thought a lot about very like uh, reflective. Mm -hmm. And so I think reading her memoir and kind of her journey through this experience would be very interesting. Um, It's called The Fixed Stars. Um, the release date just got changed to August, um, but overall, yeah, I I think it's going to be a very interesting novel. Uh, like I said, even her blog post made me think. So I can't imagine what her books will do. Yeah, that sounds that sounds enjoyable. Yeah, so it sounds like a, a good experience to have. Reading. Yeah, I guess they talked to me about books, but <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're all shut in. It is what it is. You're not yeah. much of a TV and movie consumer anyway. Yeah, or video games. Mm. Well, tell me what you're excited about then. Um, I don't see. Here's here's my problem. I haven't been keeping up with, or I haven't been putting it out there to find out what's coming out that's new, because in my world, there's still so much content that I haven't seen and haven't picked up on. That I mean, there's there's stuff from years ago that I've I've never watched. You know, I loved Breaking Bad. I came to it a little bit late, but not. This late, trust me, I've seen all of Breaking Bad twice now. Um, but I've never watched Better Call Saul. So that's on, like something like that. Yeah, I don't um, know. For me, what I will say, um, I watched the movie That Thing You Do, which, mm-hmm. which was Tom Hanks' first movie that he directed. Um, has a lot of great actors and actresses in it. Has like Steve Zahn, Ethan Embry, um, Shirley Theron's in it, Liv Tyler's in it. Uh, they're they're fantastic. Madness. <laughs> yeah, it's it's that's really, a great cast. It's a really good cast, and and even like the backing characters and stuff, like they're people you'll recognize from from other movies. But um, I specifically watched the extended cut of it, and I want to talk a little bit about what that meant for me because this movie came out in the mid '90s. I think it came out in like '96, and 
it's it's about a band that basically has a one hit wonder, and and it's the origin, the origins, the fake origin story of the one hit wonder. Um, the music's great. the The guy that wrote the music for it passed away from coronavirus a few weeks ago, so that was what put the the. He was from the band Fountains of Wayne, the band that oh, did the, yeah. the song Stacy's Mom. Mom. Yeah, that like yeah. he. He was a very, very good musician, and he was the one who wrote all the music for this movie. And so that's kind of what put it in my mind to to watch this. And it did not disappoint. It held up just as much as it did when I saw it when I was young or when I watched it. I think I watched it again in college. Highly recommend it. It's very wholesome. It's very funny. It's The music is so goddamn catchy. But if you are going to rent it, or, I mean, if you have Cinemax or access to Cinemax, I think they have the rights for it, so you can just... Go watch it. Not many people do. Um, I rented it on Amazon, three ninety nine. That was kind of like my my son or my Saturday night movie yeah, that I was watching. Yeah. Might as well put out. And especially since I, you know, even just the thought of that, a little bit of that's going to go to the guy's family, as you know, the guy who wrote the music for it, that kind of thing. I don't know. It's just something in my mind. Maybe that's not the case, but for me, that's that made it more okay to spend money on it than to pirate it. But the extended cut had about a half hour of stuff that was not in the original that made it so much better. So it goes from being about like an hour 45 in the theatrical cut to like two hours 15 in this. The The character that Tom Hanks actually plays in it, he plays basically their manager when they hit the big time. And he's a great character. He's fantastic in it, which, you you know, it's Tom Hanks. Yeah. Um, he has a boyfriend in it, played by Howie Long, who's an oh, ex-football player. Yeah. Like there's this whole scene that gets cut out from the theatrical cut that's in the extended cut where one of the guys in the band is drunk and is like going out like he needs to go into the hotel and and Tom Hanks is basically done for the night. He's like, okay, I've made sure that they're all okay. I'm going to have my night now. And his boyfriend is there waiting for him in the car and they get in the car and they have this funny little scene with one of the guys that's drunk that also wants to get in the car and come with them. And uh, the boyfriend character is like, oh, let him come with us. And Tom Hanks just starts laughing and they drive. It, it's a, like just little stuff like that, but it, it made the movie experience that much better for it of, of mm-hmm. like showing, you know, representation of, of more than just kind of the, like you said, the cis, the, the straight, yeah. like kind of, you know, there was, yeah. there was a new going on that wasn't in this original movie that I had seen. That's crazy. That's awesome. Yeah, I really like that. Um, and then there's some other stuff that's just funny, some other little scenes. There's uh, a band of monkeys or, or chimps that are dressed up in suits to look like the, the Beatles. And Tom Hanks does this fake voice. It's like for a variety show. And Tom Hanks does this fake British accent voiceover for like what these chimp and chimp beetles would be saying. And it was fucking really funny. Like, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of sad that they cut that stuff out, but I'm, I'm glad that it exists out there. And it was really worth a watch. Highly recommend the movie. Even just the theatrical cut of the movie is fantastic. Uh, extended cut was great. Um, some stuff that I'm going to be watching. I still haven't watched Onward. That is, I'm going to be watching that soon. Um, also, Tiger King. I haven't watched it yet. I'm I haven't seen either. I'm not sure I'm going to like Tiger King. I'll be honest, which is why. I already know that. I know about myself. <laughs> That if it caught fire this much in popcorn, I'm gonna love it. And I know that the the most or the newest episode of it comes out tonight. We're recording this on April 12th, and uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna try to catch up because I understand like just from memes and shit. I feel like I've seen so much of it. I know who Joe Exotic is and Carol Baskin. You know that bitch Carol and feeding her <laughs> husband to the tigers and starting like I know all this stuff just from from tangentially through the through Facebook and Reddit and that kind of shit. So it's like I I just need to bite the bullet and just watch me some fucking tiger king i don't think i'm gonna be disappointed 
So maybe next time I'll have a Tiger King update for you. Okay. We'll have to... We'll have to follow up on that. I'm very excited. I think we're both going to consume some good media and get to talk about it in the next week. Agreed. Yeah. Um, stay safe. Have fun. Thanks for listening. Thank you for we listening. You. We love you. I love you. I want to marry. No, I'm, that's no, me that's too far. You no. don't want. You don't want to marry them. That's true. Uh, I probably know ninety-two percent of our listeners at this point. And, and <laughs> it's I, true. You're all great, but don't love you that much. Um, <laughs> We do appreciate you listening. We do appreciate and if you could rate us or review us on Apple or Spotify, however you came to find it, however you are listening to it, um, a good rating helps it be pushed forward to other people to possibly listen to. So that, that would do us many favors, which we would appreciate. Um, any comments you might have, any questions, any future topics you might want us to talk about, or any topics that you feel that you know you want to hear us talk about from previous letters, send them to us. You know, there's we're we're so new to this and we're so you know early in this show that yeah, absolutely we'll talk about you know different stuff you want to if, if we think there's some merit to it. You can send anything to us at uh, our email address, which is rla the podcast at gmail.com. All right, sounds good. I'll talk with you next week. Yes, and stay um, stay real. No, uh, we got. We'll figure out what the actual ending is. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>